what an awesome song to acknowledge, Lord, this is my Father's world. We rest with confidence in that truth. And as we open Your Word, we realize this is Your Word given to us to reveal Your holiness, Your love for us, Your salvation, the grace, the mercy that You've poured out on us. And Lord, to give us insight as to how to walk with You while we are here in this world and looking forward to the world coming, the new heavens, the new earth. We thank You, Father that we can open Your Word together this morning. We ask again through Your Holy Spirit that You would set the distractions aside and allow us through Your Spirit to learn, to grow, to, and to, to be able to focus uh, on what You have for us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. We'll be in Romans chapter... 14, I'll be starting with the 13th verse when I read, but I'm going to wait just a couple of minutes to do that and do a little uh, quick review, and that is to deal with the first 12 verses of Romans. Uh, and we've gone over this uh, and, and had a couple of messages through these passages, but I just wanted to remind you of the issues that were going on that Paul was drawing attention to here in Romans chapter 14. The issues had to do with uh, uh, to eat meat or not to eat meat, uh, to uh, honor special days or to look at every day as the same. And, he, and that's in verses 2 and 5. And in verse 21, which we'll get to actually today, but I mentioned a couple of weeks ago as well, we uh, also have the issue of drinking wine. And at that point, that was the idea of drinking fermented anything. Uh, so, uh, the question was whether or not these things were okay to do. Obviously, there's a dilemma in, in the church as to how to deal with this because Paul's addressing it. And, and sometimes it's so hard. To be, it's like we're listening to a one, one-sided phone conversation. We hear what Paul is saying, but we don't hear all the things that caused the input for what he said. But we can still look at the culture around the church of Rome and, and realize that there's some things that we can probably see fairly clear uh, in the sense of what was happening here. The issues, again, meat, uh, holidays or holy days, and wine. And Paul is also drawing a, a picture in here that there's an issue between those who are weak and those who are strong. And Paul him, him tells us pretty clear, those who uh, are saying you can't eat meat, you... You have to celebrate special days and those who don't drink wine. He's, in, he's saying that they're the weak and that the strong needs to come alongside them in a special way. I want to suggest to you as we say that, that you have to understand why Paul is putting them in that category of weak there and the other reality, which I really tried to emphasize earlier when we talked about this, is that we are, every one of us, a weak believer in some category in our life. I can look around and I can see people who I admire and I, and I know uh, are, are far exceed, uh, let's just say, I, I, like prayer warriors. People that I know that just, I can't, just to know that they are praying for me lets me know that I am being prayed for. And, and, I, and I look at my own prayer life and, and I struggle and say, you know, uh, 
that mine might be more like that, you know, and, and, and I'm not as, as mature maybe in some other areas as you are. You may not be as mature as I am in some areas. And so we all have areas of weakness, but the real truth is every one of us is pure and simple weak without the Holy Spirit. So none of us have room to boast. So this weak and strong has nothing to do with boasting about anything. Hopefully you can grab a hold of that and realize that Paul's not trying to separate a group and saying, oh, you poor weakies. You know, uh, that's not what he's doing. You have two uh, possible groups of people that have been addressed in commentaries as to who the the people struggling with eating meat. Uh, One would be uh, Jewish converts and the others would be uh, Gentile converts. Converts. Interestingly enough, that's the whole group, right? Uh, but within the framework of Rome, if you were drawing in Jewish converts, you have uh, people who are coming out of the Jewish uh, faith. You still you have the idea of kosher meats, the only things that you can eat. But you're in a culture where you walk into the, uh, for lack of better words, we'll call it the butcher shop, and 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 you're looking at the meat. And the question is, is it kosher? Has it been cut the right way? Has it been bled the proper way? Uh, Was it having anything to do with being sacrificed to an idol? In the Roman culture, that wasn't uncommon to find meat for sale in the butcher shop that had been sacrificed to the Roman idol. Why? Because the uh, priests that uh, handled the pagan sacrifices, uh, they got to keep a portion and the, the rest of it was theirs to sell, if you will. And they sold it to the butcher. The butcher sold it to the public. So there's a real question mark here for some people that it's a stumbling block, if you will. We'll talk more about that word. But the idea is that, uh, you know, how can I take a risk of eating something sacrificed to an idol? Paul will suggest, and, and, and the, the issue comes up in other places, but the idea is, is that that's not what makes it holy or unholy in, 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 in any way. So the issue, though, was for the, 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 the Jewish person at that point, how do I deal with this? Plus, I come out of a culture that has a number of very special festivals and special days. Many of the special days that the Jewish people celebrated were not from the biblical context, but things that had evolved through their traditions, and uh, but they were very important to them. Uh, some of them they wanted to keep. Was that wrong? Was it right? What, and, and the issue, oh, and please make sure you understand, this is not the, what you hear about the Judaizers. They weren't trying to come in and say this is the, new, the law that you have to abide by, other than that this was something that they were doing. However, it's interesting how we get when we're in one side of the issue or another side, how we kind of see ourselves as doing it the best way. And there is sometimes that sense of pride. And Paul's a little concerned about that here too. But the Gentiles were equally concerned about meat being sacrificed to pagan idols. Why? Because they had participated on that side of it and now they wanted to be as far away from it as possible. And so people are saying, well, was this group or that group? Why can't it be both? The problem is is that it doesn't matter. The issue, I guess, is, is really isn't who was having the problem as much as that there was a group of people who said, because of my conscience, because of the possibility this meat has been sacrificed to an idol or not prepared properly or whatever, I can't eat it. 
That was, that was the issue. And it also had to do with the celebration of days. By the way, talk about a culture that had holidays. The Romans had probably, you know, at one point they said at least a third and sometimes maybe more, depending on how they overlapped in, in time and in culture, uh, of their days were holidays. You know, uh, and so uh, uh, we, can't, we can't do anything, you know, we shouldn't do this on this holiday because it's a Roman pagan holiday and, we'll, and, and people will think we're pagan, so we better not do this part of our worship even. You know, I mean, it could be something, you know, just confusion. So the idea was, is, is Paul is saying, here's an issue. And I'm suggesting to you that it was more cultural and tradition than other things, but Paul is allowing it to ride in the sense that, is it okay to have... What, what they've done, in a sense, maybe you can look at it this way, is they've put up a fence and said, as long as I don't cross this fence, I'm not tempted to slip back into that context or that way, and I'm putting up this fence to protect my faith. Is that a wrong thing to do? Well, the Pharisees did it. Look what happened to them, you could say. Okay, so it, to, to put a circle around something and say, I'm not going to participate in this because it may lead me to this, that's not a wrong thing, but you want to be careful that it doesn't become now the law. Does that make sense? And I think Paul was a little concerned about the friction that was causing and coming out of the Pharisees himself. There may be a hint of, of that problem. But the real issue was the strong, the people who were, were free that didn't have an issue with eating the meat or, or, or days and stuff, the, the strong, were, it says, were despising those who were weak. Kind of like, come on, mature, grow up. And, and the weak were looking at, at, at the, 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 those who were free and judging them and saying, oh, if you only knew <laughs> you know, how, how close you're teetering to, to dropping off the edge or something. You know? And so there was going back and forth. And Paul basically says, who are you to judge God's? That's God's job. Now, does this mean that we don't hold certain values as absolutes? We're not talking about salvation issues. We're talking about peripheral issues that don't have anything to do with salvation. And Paul is saying, basically, you don't have a right to despise or judge in this. That's God's job. And we talked all about the fact that every believer, and Paul emphasizes this here in Romans 14, every believer is going to stand before God in judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks very specifically about that. And it says, you know, the, that picture, again, I, I repeat it, you know, is gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Okay? All of the, every, that's everything that you built on the foundation of the gospel that Paul and the apostles laid. We have the foundation. We're not talking about that, but as we come, everything that we've built in our life on that foundation is going to be assessed and Paul pictures this as being tested by fire. Well, what survives the fire? The gold, the silver, the precious stones. Obviously, the wood, the hay, and the straw do not. And so, Paul's saying that's God's job to judge. Everybody's going to come down. Everybody's going to have to deal with what they built on the foundation that Paul and the apostles laid. But that's not your job. Now, does that mean that if I don't, if I see a, a brother in sin, that I'm just to ignore it? 
No, Scripture says I'm to come alongside. But what am I to do first? I did mention this a couple of weeks ago. I am to what about the log in my eye? (laughs) Take care of that problem first. In other words, I've got plenty of my own sin and failures to deal with, omissions, commissions type of issues, that before I can come and help my brother, I need to pray up and, and, and be right with the Lord in my own life. At the point in time that I do that, I realize I fall just as short as my brother falls in just different areas, maybe even the same areas, and, but I see that he's having a problem. And I come alongside and we minister, and now my motivation isn't so much to point out his sin as much as it's to build him up out of it and get him through it. So, Paul picks up here in, in verse 13. Uh, you know, he's saying, each, well, verse 12 of chapter 14 said, So then each of us will give account of himself to God. And then verse 13, where we pick up this morning, Therefore, since each of us are going to give account to God, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. In other words, we don't need to be in that category. We don't need to, that's not our job but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance uh, in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not forsake Uh, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because... The eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, I went through this passage, and in fact, the whole chapter 14 and going into the first few verses of chapter 15, and I tried to figure out which, which, verse, which verse was being said to, for lack of better words, the weaker brother, and which one's being said to the, the uh, uh, strong brother. I'm not very good, I guess, at following antecedents and all those kinds of things and pronouns and things because in some cases I just got left behind. And I'm saying, why is this such a hard struggle? And then it came to me, Bob, you're trying to ferret out too much detail here. What is the emphasis of what Paul's trying to achieve here? Well, very clearly, first and foremost, we're not to judge one another. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I am a... Teetotaler. 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 No, that's a kid. Teetotaler. And I, I don't drink. It, 
is that make it me better than someone who does, who's a Christian? Well, there's some groups that would say absolutely. My initial walk in the Lord was with the church like that. By the way, I don't look back at that at all as a negative time in my life. It was exactly what I needed at the time because drinking was a serious problem for me. You see, the reason why I don't drink is because I lose control. I've never, to, even as a believer, I have never been able to control drinking in my life. As a believer, I don't think I have ever been intoxicated like I was before I was a believer. But I know that some of the tendencies of my what I call my B.C., before Christ days, as I drank casually and moderately, started to creep back in. I stay away from alcohol. I don't frequent bars. <laughs> I don't suggest that that's a good place to go ever. But I'm just suggesting to you that, you know, I, we get at a restaurant. I don't, I, you know, if somebody wants to order a, 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 a glass of wine that's having dinner with me, that doesn't affect me, bother me. And I don't think any less of them. But the issue here is, is, you know, I'm not to judge, but I am my own conscience. I know that if Bob Hapgood drinks, he's sinning. I hope you understand what, how, how simple that is. You know, um, it's not a rule coming from the Bible. And it's one of those things that's kind of hard. How can, how can it be a sin? Well, it is actually coming from the Bible because I'm not free in my conscience to drink. I know that leads me. So Bob Habgood has put up a fence. He doesn't drink at all. And if I'm in a situation, quite candidly, where drinking turns into the, 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 the primary course of things, which sometimes happens that at events that you get invited to or whatever... I find a way to absence my absent myself, you know, move on and, and leave. I do it politely. I don't do it saying, "Oh, what a bunch of drunks! I'm getting out of here." You know, uh, you know. I I just simply, quietly, leave. It's interesting that that Paul says here very clearly as he's starting to deal with this, even though I am persuaded. Nothing is unclean. If you think it is, it is to you. Keep that in mind as we look at this in verse, you know, you know, as we as we go through this. In verse 14, he said that. Verse 15, he makes it clear. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one from whom Christ died. So do not let your guard for your foods be spoken as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Okay, so this isn't a kingdom of God. This isn't a salvation issue. This isn't an issue that's dealing in that category. But we still have this area of stumbling blocks. So as we get into this, just give me a moment. We're not dealing with kingdom issues. So whether you abstain or you are partaking, it doesn't, that's not a kingdom issue. Uh, what counts in God's kingdom, if, what, what Paul is saying here, what counts in God's kingdom, he says in verse 17, 
is, are you pursuing righteousness? Are you pursuing peace? Are you pursuing joy? And if the answer to this is yes, are you doing it through the Holy Spirit? I think that's an extremely important addition. If you are pursuing righteousness and peace and joy through the Holy Spirit, in other words, you're seeking God and His holiness, you're desiring to grow close to Him, and you are desiring to enjoy your walk with Him, then this is how you should this is this is how you become acceptable to God. It makes it clear. It's not by what you eat and drink that makes you acceptable to God. It's are you pursuing righteousness and joy and peace through the Holy Spirit? That's what makes you acceptable to God. And that you can't do in and of yourself. It has to be through the Holy Spirit. Because if you're trying to do it on your own, it won't happen. So that through the Holy Spirit is, is an important part of this. If you're pursuing God through the power of His Holy Spirit working in you, and that's what's driving you, then this is how you're acceptable to God. And the idea of acceptable here is well-pleasing. I want to be pleasing to God. How do I do that? I pursue Him. As I pursue Him. You know what? I find that things that weren't sin to me 30 years ago uh, are sin to me now. And they may not be sin for you. We're not, you know, it's just that they lead me astray, they distract me from the, from the Lord, and I just, I, I need to, to set them aside and not do them anymore. I can't answer why those are for me and it hasn't happened to you that way. It's just where it's at. But I do know that God is honoring it in the sense that why is this happening? Because I am pursuing Him. By the way, to be approved by you, therefore, and that's really what he's saying when approved by men here, what he's talking about is being approved by those around you. If you are approving me by what I eat and drink, then you are way off too. You should be looking at whether I, you can see the fact in my life that I'm pursuing God. Do you believe that you see in me my pursuit of God? If you do, that should bring your approval of me as a brother in Christ. Now, this is a toughie. I hadn't thought about this until just now. You're driving through town and you see my 95 Chevy pickup parked out in front of the... What's the, is, is John's room still in town? John's playpen or... John's club, okay, John's club. And you see me walk out. <laughs> You're obviously going to have an, a, a, an immediate reaction to that. Okay? Should it be disgust, shun, or concern? Well, knowing what you know as of now, it should be concern. Do you now have the right to approach me and say, Hey, Bob, is everything okay? Absolutely. What if you find out I actually got drunk? Now what are you going to do? <laughs> no, that's my wife's job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Thanks a lot, Ted. <laughs> Ted said he would take me home so that she can. Um, no, the issue is going to be, hopefully, that you come alongside, do get me home without me driving. But the issue is here, I am now falling short. I've, I've, I have obviously sinned. But are you going to just give up on me now? Are you going to despise me now? Or, 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 you know, uh, or, or are you going to judge me now? No, you're going to say, my pastor has fallen. I want to say something to that too. This congregation has been an amazing group of people for me in my life because you guys have seen me through ups and downs in my walk with the Lord. You've given me a chance to grow in the Lord that a lot of pastors don't get because when a pastor has his downs, they normally get their outs. And then we go on and we kind of weather through a, a brief time of some kind of recovery of whatever it is, and we go back in and we start all over again where we were. And we never get a chance. to. But because you guys have stayed with me through the ups and downs, you never despised me, you didn't judge me. Instead, you came alongside me. You've given me an opportunity to mature in Christ. And that is a blessing. So... We're to do that to each other. That's what we're here for. This is how you really encourage. God has accepted me. Even in my sin, He has accepted me. Because my heart's desire, and you should know this by now, is to pursue His face, to seek Him, to know Him. And when I fail, I don't need you to, to, to tear me apart. I need you to come alongside I may need a rebuking. Don't misunderstand that. But I need you to come alongside and see me through. Whole side issue. I didn't mean to get that distracted there. If you are, if you are pursuing righteousness and peace and joy, then you are acceptable to God and therefore should be under the approval of the men around you, the church around you. Now, I want you to note in all of this, Paul did not ever say in these verses, to, he never said to agree or to abandon your personal convictions. In other words, he didn't say, oh, well, if this is the way it is, then you need just come alongside, give up your convictions and agree with this guy. Now, he's not talking about matters of the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about things of day-to-day -day life that are different for different people. So the key thought I want you to make sure you get here is the fact that, you know, the fact that I need offense doesn't mean you do. In in certain areas of my life, but I you need to be sensitive to my offense. You know, uh, there was a point in time in my life. Because I had not come to the point of my absolute conviction that I can't deal with alcohol. That when I left the environment where alcohol was verboten, you just you can't do it. I'm now in a new environment where there's some freedom. There is some Christian liberty. And I found a good friend who was a, a, a part of the uh, was in the Bible college where I was going. And, and a number of them, they, you know, they like to go out on uh, one, a couple of times a month and, and go to the local uh, place. And it wasn't a pub. It was a place to go shoot pool. And it was a family place. They had pizza. They had, you know, a uh, salad bar. <laughs> but they had beer. 
and they liked to have a couple of beers while they were shooting pool and eating their pizza. I said, oh, am I free? I had round two dealing with alcohol now as a believer for Bob Hapgood. And that's when after a short period of time I realized I'm not able to do that. Now, did those guys create a stumbling block for me? Uh-uh. I want to make sure you understand. They didn't know anything about my situation. Had they, however, invited me over and said, hey, let's watch, the, you know, and, 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 and were looking at me and saying, well, come on, Bob, have a beer. And they knew that I don't drink, but they're trying to make it okay for me because it's okay for them. Is that a stumbling block? Yeah. I'm trying to, to make sure you, you get the gist of this. Because some people, there's a, there's a, call, there's a phrase that came up in my, in, as I was even studying this that I hadn't heard for years. And that was the tyranny of the weak brother. And that idea that if, if I'm the weak brother, then everything in church has to follow my weakness. And anything else is not acceptable. Because actually my weaknesses are everybody's weaknesses, and therefore I must be right. And so you shouldn't play cards, you shouldn't drink, you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't wear makeup, you shouldn't... And I can go through a list of weaknesses. Okay? And you shouldn't do any of those things. And if you do, you're not church. You're not doing church. There was a time if you stood up here in a pulpit with anything less than a coat and tie and slacks, you weren't doing church. In fact, I was in a church that I had, we, we, we did, we wore coats and ties and slacks. I only owned one suit. I saved that for, for weddings and, and, and the like. Uh, and and uh, I had, a, but I had a, a number of sports coats and slacks and, and coordinated things. And I kind of like color and, 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 and I tend to coordinate that as well. But anyway, uh, I was very conservative, probably pretty much like I am here, except that I had a coat and a tie. Okay, long sleeve shirt, cuffs sticking out just right. Um, and the church, they were in a building program, and they were coming into their new building, and they just wanted to so impress everybody. They said, Bob, since you're up on the, and I wasn't the senior pastor, but I was one of the pastors, and I was up on the platform during Sunday morning quite a bit. And they said, Bob, we need you in a three-piece suit. I don't know if you've ever noticed how I'm built. It doesn't fit into a three-piece suit off the shelf, I can guarantee you. In fact, it doesn't fit into any suit off the shelf. And I said, that's up to you. I can't afford it. <laughs> they sent me down to Johnson's, I think it was at that time in Eureka. And uh, when they found out it was going to cost $1,200, they said, your sport coat is really nice. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how your values can change. You see, we get so sidetracked on certain issues that we don't get into what is important. The other side of it is, I wore a coat and tie every Sunday morning because it would have distracted some if I hadn't. Now you say, why don't I do that here? Because from the very beginning, nobody asked me to and nobody was upset that I didn't. 
And, uh, and since I've had some health issues, especially with neuropathy that affect my legs dramatically at times, there are times where I show up here in the pulpit in shorts. You guys are very gracious. You allow that. Okay? Because it really isn't what is important, is it? It's not a kingdom of God issue. But at the same time, we want modesty. We want decorum. You see how we are? We, we want to find that balance. Paul's biggest concern here really was, are you pursuing the kingdom of God, number one? And food and drink have nothing to do with that. However, be cognizant of one another. Some are free to drink, some aren't. That's okay. What does your conscience tell you about you? There are some of you in here that can go to the theater and not have a problem. There are others of you that cannot. I have a very, very good friend who cannot go to the theater. His motivation isn't so much about GR, you know, all of that stuff. And he does have a TV in his home. So don't misunderstand here the, the issue. The issue is somehow to him, not somehow, to him, if he pays to go to the theater and see a movie, he is supporting the Hollywood industry that the next movie they send there will be an appalling movie and he's helping support that. He can't do that in clear conscience. He doesn't support the video stores either for the same reason. They have stuff that he's helping to keep them open and they have enough appalling stuff in there that he has a problem with that. He has never condemned me and judged me. I have been to the movie theaters. I even saw Star Wars. I was waiting to see if there was any daggers flying, you know. <laughs> the issue is, is that he, he, he realizes... Now, that's a personal conviction of his. It isn't necessarily mine. It doesn't have to be mine for me and, and, and my friend to be brothers in Christ either. I don't smoke. I think it's bad for your health. I even think it's, a, it's not necessarily a good witness for a Christian to smoke because you're encouraging bad health. But you know what? I still go to stores that sell cigarettes. You see how you can get with this? You want to see how far you can go with it? Well, I, can't, I recall when there was a, a particular shopping mart that went in. They sell beer. We don't need another place to sell beer. Well, we're going we're gonna to boycott that place. I'm in agreement. Don't need another place to sell beer. But if they're going to sell anything else, and there are people that sell the same things they sell, they have the right to sell the beer. Okay? If you're going to have that attitude, then don't go to Safeway, don't go to Ray's. Don't, you know, you're going to be very limited to your garden. But, but, but you know, uh, you see how, I, how easy it is to, be, to turn this thing upside down. This idea of, of, of uh, not you know, doing something because of conviction. The first time I really got a piece of this, and, and, it, and it's a story from the Bible. How many of you are familiar with the Rechabites? Some of you are because they say, oh, you preached on that 22 years ago. Uh, yeah, uh, the Rechabites are found in 
well, there's a couple places, but they're found in chapter 35 primarily of Jeremiah. In the sense of what happens. The father of the Rechabite clan, I think it was Jeroboam, but any, I can't remember the right name there, but the, the Rechabites, he, he made them all promise on his deathbed, basically, you will not move into the cities. You will stay tent dwellers and you will not let anything fermented pass your lips. Because either one of those will have, have serious consequences and lead to the possible doom, basically. So they did. The whole clan of Rechabites. Now, what was interesting is in Jeremiah 35... They were invited to the temple, a group of them. And the prophet was told to offer them wine. Now, if you're a believer and you're in the temple and the priest tells you have a glass of wine, you might yeah, you scratch your head. But no, my, and this is multiple generations removed, the father of the Rechabites said no. We shouldn't do this. And we've agreed. And we've lived our whole lives, generation after generation. And for whatever reason, for our group of people, this has been a successful way to live. No, we're not going to do this. We aren't going to drink any wine. And I'm thinking, why would God do this to them in the first place? Isn't that a stumbling block? No. God was first off confident. Number two, He wanted to use them now as an object lesson to the Jews. He says, I want you to look at these Rechabites. Well, here, let me just read it for verse 18 and 19 of chapter 35. But to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab, your father, and kept all the, his precepts and done all that he commanded you, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jehonadab, the son of Rehab, shall never lack a man to stand before me. And it was because they didn't drink. And what they was is they were honoring their earthly father better than the Jewish people were offering their, honoring their heavenly father. And he says, look, if, if, if these guys can do this much, you should you know, think about this. There's a, there's a thing. And he turned around and blessed them for their individual convictions of something they don't do. Were the Jews free to live in the city? Yeah. Were they free to drink wine? Yeah. But God blessed these people for their convictions of not doing it. I just so was overwhelmed with that because that means that, that the weaker brother can be blessed. You see, we're not getting the right... I, I just want to make sure you understand. Weaker and, and uh, brother is, is, is a terminology that we don't want to throw out here in a sense of any kind of, 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 of downgrade. That's not what's meant here. There's just that some people have convictions that other people don't have and other people have freedom. Paul used the term weaker, which isn't the only way to translate this word in the sense of understanding it. And I want you to understand, they weren't weaker, i.e. less than. That's normally what we think of weaker. If anything, God's saying the Rechabites are standing above the Jews in their weakness, if you wanted to use that word. Okay, So, obviously, to drink or not to drink, to live in the city, not to live in the city, was not a universal rule of God. But there were some who had it, and he blessed them because they became an example to some who didn't have it, actually. 
So what is Paul really doing here? I think he's trying to see the idea of protecting, if you will, Christian liberty on both sides of this issue. The real protection here is, if your conscience convicts you of something, don't do it. By the way, what if you're in between and you're just not sure? Wait. Until you are. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes we have to take a few steps to find out. And then we'll turn around and say, oh, I am free to do this. And maybe even after a year or two or 20 or 30, you say, well, I'm not free to do this anymore. Is that possible? Yes. That's, again, I shared with you my artichoke. The leaves are all your, your basic growth, you're getting all the bad stuff getting peeled off, but finally God gets to the heart of the matter, but there's still one thing left to happen. That thistle has to be cleared out. And there are thousands. You want to count them? Go ahead, but take my word for it. There are thousands in that. And they have to be scraped out. And that's where God laid on my heart. Bob, you're like an artichoke. We finally get into the heart of the matter. You want to know why it's so hard to sometimes say, when is sin going to ever leave me alone? It's because we're finally getting to the heart of the matter of what's real sin in your life. And it's not necessarily sin in everybody else's life. The real issue comes back to who's in control. Not me, not you, the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, the head of the church, through empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And again, am I pursuing the righteousness of God? Am I pursuing the joy of my relationship with Him? And am I pursuing peace? And at this point, the word is not just being at peace with God, but being at peace with my fellow brother and sister in Christ. Paul says in verse 19 of of, uh, Romans 14, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And I thought of a scripture instantly as I read that. Ephesians chapter 4. You know, let no unwholesome words proceed from your mouth that are words that are not for building up and encouragement. Not to control, or I mean to, to judge, not to condemn. Don't let any word slip out of your mouth that does that. The words that come from your mouth as a believer in the body of believers needs to be those that build up and encourage one another. Again, I want to read verse 17 kind of as a closing thought. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. As we come to the table, isn't it awesome to know that all of you, and me included, when we know that we self-examine through the Holy Spirit and ask God to search us and reveal to us what's going on, all of us have sin, but as we come to this table, there is no condemnation. In fact, in reference to the idea of wrath, there is no judgment. That's been done. Can there be conviction? Absolutely. Can, you, can there be a sense of God even rebuking you? Absolutely. 
but he does it in a sense to do one thing, draw you into him. That idea of to be approved with men is to be received. He, you know, we are pleased and we're approved. Yeah, and God wants to, he wants to draw us into him. Not because we're perfect, but because Christ is. But the reason we come to this table is that we have come to the point where the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, being saved, has done something to us. It has started the process of transformation. And as a result, we are in pursuit of God's righteousness. We are in pursuit of His peace and being at peace with one another and we're in pursuit of being in a joyful relationship with God and each other. That's through the Holy Spirit. Nothing that I bring to the table. That's where we need to encourage one another, even at communion. And the neatest part about communion is we get to share this conviction and confirmation both uh, in reference to sin and and, and Christ and what He's done for us until He comes again. And when He comes again, we'll celebrate the marriage feast and we'll be with Him eternally where there's no hint of having to deal with weaker, stronger, all these other issues where we deal simply with the new heaven, the new earth, and perfect light, no hint of darkness. I just I, I look forward to that. Uh, ask the ushers to come forward. Pass the emblems out. Hold them until we've all been served, and we'll share together.
riches come and riches go. Don't set your heart upon them. The fields of hope in which I sow are harvested in heaven. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, my delight in my God alone and trust in Him completely. With every day pour out my soul and He will prove His mercy. Though life is but a fleeting breath, a sight you breathe to measure. My King has crushed the curse of crucifixion before his arrest. He took bread during that meal and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and he passed it to disciples and he gave symbolism to it for until he returns that we're to recognize. And that is that this bread represents his body. He came in the flesh. 
to represent his body broken for us. And he asked us as often as we would share this bread, we would do it in remembrance of him. Scripture tells us at the end of the meal he took the cup and he offered it up now with a symbolism that had not been there before. He said, this is my blood that's poured out for you to purchase a covenant. He's referring to this covenant of grace. What that meant was he would give his life completely. He would give his life. Nobody was going to take it. He would give his life completely as a sacrifice. Perfect in every way so that all of us, perfect, imperfect in every way, basically, could come to him in his grace, in his salvation, come before the throne of God and rest in his mercy and grace. He asked us often as we would share this cup in remembrance of him uh, to do it until he comes again. Father, we thank you. We worship you. Cause us to rest completely in your grace in all things in our life. Lord, more than anything else, put in us that desire to seek after your righteousness. A desire to seek to be at peace with you and at peace with each other. And as much as possible, at peace with the world. And Lord, to right now, today, in this world that we're in, in the lives that we have, that we have before you, that you have put us into, the sense of, of the world that you have placed us in, Lord, cause us to find great joy in our salvation. And, in, in, and, and that part of that joy is the anticipation of the hope you've put in us. New heaven, new earth. We worship you. Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close? We have some refreshments in the back if you have time. Uh, obviously, we've got you know late summer. I uh, hope you can enjoy the day. Don't stop praying for rain. Uh, and those of you who watched two baseball games in one game yesterday, Lord bless you. I, I, I you know, I, I went. To, I, I'm not a baseball fan. My wife is. And I went into the, the, the TV, where the TV is, and there she was watching the Giants in, in Washington uh, play. And it was the ninth inning, and it was tied. I think it was the ninth inning. But anyway, when it was tied, I thought, oh, I'll watch the ending of this. I want the, 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 you know, the, the San Francisco Giants to win. Three hours later, <laughs> in the 18th inning, San Francisco did win. But, uh, you know, it's amazing how distracted you can get. Just, you know, I'm not even a baseball person, and I ended up watching three hours of baseball. <laughs> Lord bless. Have a wonderful day. Where we are.
Know your name. 